Thanks for checking out the Renew Life Church podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope that today's message encourages you. Good morning. Happy Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Before we get started anymore, uh, can we just give all of our first-time guests a round of applause? So glad you joined us on Easter. Easter's the one time a year that you can dress like an Easter egg and you're normal. So I, I feel like I need to do a little bit of a shout out too to all my Catholic heritage friends. Uh, time for a little confession. Raise your hand if you've ever been to confession. Come on. All right. It's time for some. Who is wearing a wardrobe you bought less than 48 hours ago? Tell the truth. There's the procrastinators. You got to find the things that barely fit because you were too late getting there early. So, uh, welcome, welcome. We're really glad you're here. My name is Braden. I'm the senior pastor here, and uh, we're just really, really excited that you're here. And one of the things that I really felt kind of impressed to do today is just do a little bit of a, a very, very brief history of our church uh, for just a couple of minutes, and just kind of catch some of you up on uh, what God we think God's doing here. We believe God's doing here, and. Uh, we still believe that we don't, we've not seen the best. We've not seen the biggest. We've not seen the most. And, uh, but we also believe God's still working in this church. He's working in this city. Uh, I, was, I was texting a group of pastors. I've been meeting with a group of pastors uh, from the city from actually, I think it's of the, of the 10 largest cities in the church, I think seven or eight of the pastors of the largest churches in our, in our region. We've been meeting together, and it's just incredible to see what God's doing, bringing his people back together again. We've been separate long enough. It's time that we get back together. And, and I just genuinely believe that God's bringing uh, the leaders even of the churches together uh, almost in an effort to prepare for what God wants to do in Midland, Texas. How many of you guys believe God actually could do something incredible in Midland, Texas? It's just very, very blessed to get to be a part of that. Uh, several years ago, uh, back in 2011 actually, um, I was pastoring another church here in Midland, a small campus church uh, that you know had 100, 150 people. And on a, on a really big day, we, I remember one time on a Easter Sunday, we had 201 people, and it was the greatest day of my life. And, uh, and now there's 200 kids playing on bouncers in the back room. So uh, it's really incredible to see what God's done. In that, in that season where I was the campus pastor, there was something in, on the inside of me that knew that although I'd been a Christian pretty much my entire life and knew God, knew God to a degree at least, um, there was something still missing. There was still something more. There were, there, were, there were people that I would hear talk about God and talk about their experiences with God, and I knew that my experiences with God weren't measuring up to their experiences with God. And what they were encountering and what they were feeling was not the same as what I had. And, and, and honest to God, I was just hungry. I was hungry for more. Uh, I began doing some really what I called crazy things. I was laying on the floor, uh, face down, praying, asking for God to just show up. There's all these unique things that I did, and I just was hungry for more. And I knew there had to be more than what I was experiencing. Even though I was the pastor of a church, my congregants at the time probably didn't want to hear that. It's like, I don't think I all the way knew God, but I'm pastoring you. And, um, but it, it was just one of those moments. And it, it was really, really incredible because one Sunday morning, uh, the greatest experience of my Christian life, uh, I actually had a visitation from the Lord and I saw him. It wasn't like I just felt him, I actually saw him. And the, the encounter itself lasted 15, 20 minutes. If you've been here uh, for, uh, at our church for any length of time, you've probably heard me tell this story a time or two. It was just one of the greatest things that's ever happened in my life. And what happened in that moment is it 
seeing God, experiencing God, and what I felt in that moment triggered something in me that I knew I even had to pursue him at a level that I had never pursued him before. And as I continued to pursue him, as I continued to pursue Jesus, as I, as I continued to pursue what does grace really mean for me, what does it really mean when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, when I, as I began to really press in and pursue that with all of my heart and pursue him, not just as some force in the atmosphere, but as a person that wanted to be in relationship with me, I began to pursue him differently. And what's interesting is I began to pursue him, I got overwhelmed with the love of God. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the Father doesn't have love. He is love. And as I began to pursue Jesus, this exchange began to happen in me. And as I began to pursue the finished work of the cross and understand completely, or at least to a degree, I should say, what I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus really meant. As I pressed into Jesus, the love of the Father pressed into me. And all of a sudden, I felt loved in, in ways I, I, you know, I can say I love my kids and I love my wife and I feel love from other people. I can tell you the love I felt as I pressed into him, the love of the Father, the complete agape love of the Father consumed every part of my being. And I knew once and for all, somebody loved all of me. Somebody loved every little part of me. Someone knew everything about me and still loved me. And I just got captivated by the love of God. It was unbelievable. It's, words really don't even do it justice. And, and it, but something else happened. As I pressed into him and his love pressed into me, the only logical response became to worship. The only logical response in my life became to worship. And I, I, I remember going to the office during that season in my life and I, I even started buying nicer, uh, this has been about, well, eight years ago, so the computer speakers I had, I mean, they were just junky little computer speakers. I went and bought really nice computer speakers so that I could go into my office and I could crank up worship music because I knew that when I pressed in to him, his love was going to take over my life. And when it did, the only thing I wanted to do was worship. And I began jamming worship music. I mean, there's no telling what some of my staff thought at the time. I would go in there and shut the door, lay down on my face, and I would worship and worship and worship with just tears running down my face. Because when that happens to you, when, when something actually happens in you, God's love gets in you, worship is the only logical response. I may have picked an interesting day to do this, but I want to I talk to you today about worship. This, this new covenant life that we've been called to live is no longer an outside-in life like the law, an outside-in life like religion. It's an inside-out life. In other words, religion, the law says when you do something on the outside, something happens to your inside. But Jesus says, I'm going to do a work that only I can do on your inside, and it will forever change your outside. I'm going to do a work on the inside and it will forever change your physical body. I'm going to do a work on the inside, it will forever change your family. It's an inside-out life. Because of what God's done in you, you get to live the life he's empowered you to live around you. This is the life we're called to live, an inside-out life. I, uh, I was raised in a house of three boys, three, uh, really close in age too. Uh, raise your hand if you have teenage boys in your house. Okay, now if you're a teenage boy in this room, I, I'm going to go ahead and apologize for some of the things I'm about to say about you. Because teenage boys stink. And all the moms said, it is quite incredible to be honest with you. I was one once, so I can say this. 
And my mom was in the first service and I realized halfway through my message that I've actually never repented and I owed her an apology. And so I repented in the first service. But I have, I have girls, I've only got one teenager uh, at this point. And, and what's interesting is my, they just sm- they smell good. In fact, sometimes too good. I've, we've got rules in my family like do not spray your body spray while we're in the car, it's just too much. But my girls smell good. In fact, the other day we were coming home. From, the only time I've ever smelt one of my daughters not smell good, we were, she had finished an all-day uh, volleyball tournament, and we, she had to change clothes in the car, and she pulled her shoes off. And I was like, your shoes stink. You need to get those out of here. You know? But that, that's the extent of what I've gone through. I'm just telling you, though, I had another experience several weeks ago that lets me know that if you do have teenage boys in your house, you're going through a whole other world. You're living a whole other life. We, we were at this friend's house, and he said, uh, we were getting ready to leave, and, and all the kids were playing in his room. And so I had to go back in that section of the house to, um, to get my kids. And I kid you not, when I walked into his room to get my, my kids out, it's like someone took a ten- tennis racket to my face. I mean, it just hit me, and I, and I thought something's wrong because I stepped out. I was like, oh, my gosh, what in the world is that? And the mom that was behind me, she goes, that's my son. That's, uh, that's my son. And it's awful, and I feel bad because now I kind of have a bit of a glimpse of what maybe my parents went through. I remember, actually, I don't know if it's hereditary, like feet that stink. Some people's feet, stink, they seem to stink just different. You know what I'm saying? Like some people's feet stink. Other people's feet kill people. And I think I was, growing up, I think my family was in the, in the latter portion where it's like, I, I remember, I'm going to wrap my little brother out. I remember a season in life when my little brother was living with me and, and he was not allowed to even bring his shoes in the house. It's like, you take your shoes off. And I think several times I heard his shoes knocking at the door to get in. There was something alive in, in there. <laughs> But I, I, my mom would make, we'd get to the house and she's like, there's times where when would come in the house, she could take her shoes off and go straight to the bathtub and wash her feet. And it, it just, it was kind of a thing. And so as I got older, I just, I, honestly, I became really, really aware of how bad my, my feet were. And so I like did a full U-turn and I became this person who, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to come out on Front Street with it. I actually have a special brush in my shower, and every day, twice a day, I wash my feet with high-dollar face soap. <laughs> I'll bet you 100 bucks I got prettier feet than 50% of the women in this room today. <laughs> That's what I think. We, we had a conversation. We had a conversation. Um, I was at youth group uh, last Wednesday. And I don't, actually don't know how this started, but uh, some of the kids were starting to roll in some of the band, and, and I, I happened to be there dropping my daughter off. She sings on the worship team, and so we were, we were talking. And all of a sudden, I was reminded of a game that uh, I, I learned we played in, in youth years ago. But the youth pastor at the time was Cody, and Cody had uh, two, two couples. They had to pick a team, so he picked two girls and two boys, and they had to come up for this game. And the game, you were going to win $100 or something like that. So it was like a, this was a serious game. And so he calls them up to the front and he hands each of uh, one of them a Coke and says, who, of the two of you, who thinks you can drink this, which of your partners do you think can drink this Coke the fastest? So they decided who that was. And he said, okay, now open it. But before you start, the other partner had to take their sock off and cover the Coke can. And they had to drink the Coke through their friend's sock. And here's the most disturbing part about it. I watched this with my own eyes. The most disturbing thing about that is the boy didn't seem to think it was a big deal. It's like, great, I'm winning 100 bucks. You know? 
And the girl just set the Coke right back down, and the boy just chugged it. I'm like, you do realize you don't have to drink it as fast as you're drinking it. She's not doing it. And he's just not taking a breath, just crushing it. <laughs> I, uh, I do have good news, however. If you're wondering, you know, my, I, I did wash my feet. Like I said, I washed them. And here's the thing. No one told me to do it this morning. Aren't you proud of me? So proud of me. Why? Because when you're immature, you have to be commanded to do things. But when you grow up, something inside you knows what you should do. Something inside you knows what you should do. I propose to you that that's the life we've been called to live. A life where we're not commanded. In fact, the scripture even says that the laws, the to-dos, the to-dos if you want to call it that, They've actually now been written on tablets of flesh. The old law was written on a stone, but the new laws have now been written on tablets of flesh to let us know we're supposed to be living an inside-out life. I wrote this down because in the area of worship, I, I'm aware of the fact that um, it's different in the South and it's different with really conservative people what worship looks like. I know this because I, I am one to a certain degree. I used to be more of one. Uh, I was one of those guys that when it came to worship, I had the hands in the pockets and I was a shifter. Some of you in here are shifters. This is about the extent of how into a worship service you get. <laughs> Left heel, right heel. Look around, left heel, right heel. I can say that because, well, because I'm the pastor and I can say what I want to say. But um, I can also say that because there was a time in my life where worship to me was a, the, the first part of a church service. That's what it was. We're going to start off with worship and then we're going to go to the message. And I was guilty. I was, I was one of those that was guilty of, if I'm on time, I'm not really missing much. I'm just missing the worship. Because after all, the thing that's going to change me is the word. What's going to really impact my life is this message. I, I honest to God, did not plan on doing this um, today I, it, it's, it's interesting how this came out in the first service. It's nowhere in my notes, but I feel like I'm supposed to share this story today. I, uh, growing up, I grew up in a really small town uh, where there was a very staunch racial divide. And I, although I, I think if you would have asked me at the time, are you a racist, I would have said no, but the answer was yes. There were things in me that I did not know were in there because I stayed in my safe little world. I stayed on my side of the tracks. I hung out with my kind of friends, all the while not knowing that there was a, a dark evil still in my heart. And I, I didn't know this until I got to college all the way and I started meeting uh, some of my black friends now from, from other parts of the country. I, I played college baseball and so I met some of the different athletes from different parts of the country, from different walks of life. And all of a sudden it was through encounters with the, some of those guys that I realized that I have a problem and I need to fix it. I remember there was a friend of mine, he ended up playing in the NBA and we called him Midnight Love. Um, most of you don't know what Midnight Love is because you've never watched BET. 
But BET, I don't even know if it's still on there, but if it, it, it's not, someone's shaking their head, no, it ain't on there anymore. Uh, BET used to have a show called Midnight Love where after a certain hour, they, they played some slow jams and my man didn't have a TV in his room. And so he made it, no one was touching the TV in the commons area in our dorm room because we all knew Midnight's watching Midnight Love. And I got to be friends with him and it just, just so many different things that in, 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 throughout college addressed issues of my heart, but I don't think any of them addressed the issue of my heart. Like my, I, I played two years of junior college ball and after that I went to, the, to, to Tennessee. And when we got there, we had a church that we were going to, but uh, while I was play, uh, at practice one day, my wife would go to the gym, Leanne would go to the gym, and she went to the gym one day and when she came home, she said, I gotta, I gotta tell you a story, I met a guy at the gym today. And I'm like, are you excited about this? Like, is this really happening right now? <laughs> and she met this guy at the gym, and we've since become friends, and he, he told me, he said, I'm not going to lie, when she walked in and got on that treadmill, I thought, Jesus done brought me my wife. <laughs> and because he was single at the time. And so, and of course, Leanne's just like, she's overboard when it comes to stuff like this. I, I picture it this way, like he, and he worked at the gym. So he starts walking at the gym and it's like, I could picture her like on the treadmill jogging, singing precariously. Oh, I'm so happy that I'm married. I'm so happy. I'm married. I'm married. Married. I'm so happy. It's like she, she got him before he even got there. And so we, we, we ended up developing this relationship, but she, she tells me that day she met the guy and she said, I'm, I know this is going to sound weird. I met a guy at the gym and he invited me to church, and I really think we're supposed to go to his church. And I was like, oh, okay, well, Lord's speaking, we're, 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 we follow Jesus, so let's, just, let's go. Well, it wasn't like today. Like today you can get online, you can Google. In fact, I think even our website might even have a page you can click that I'm new here, what to expect when you show up. They didn't have stuff like that out there. Plus, I was just too dumb. I'm like, well, the Lord told us to go, we're going to go. So I didn't Google it. I didn't go swing by the church, see what it looks like. Sunday morning, we, we looked up, in the, I think it was maybe in the newspaper back then, or not the newspaper, the yellow pages. Here's what the church, here's the service times, we're going. So we, we, I don't, we, we go to church, we, or they get up that morning, we dial in the address, and we start driving towards this church. And uh, it, it was on, the, on a different side of town than I was used to hanging out at. And so we start winding, and next thing you know, there's no houses around. It's, we're in the country now. And now we're on a road that even if you wanted to turn around, you ain't turning around. And so we get there, and as we're starting to head towards this, down this little road, off to the, off to the right-hand side, um, I see the church, and it was one of those old-school, white, narrow, tall, steeple, traditional, looks like it held about 30 people in it kind of churches. And as we were driving that direction, I told him, I was like, oh, no, I don't think we heard Jesus. Like, I don't think this is, I don't think this is the church for us. But as, as we get closer, our options were, were drastically reduced when one of the parking lot ushers stepped out into the middle of the road and waved us in the parking lot. We didn't have a choice. We were going to church that day. <laughs> we pull in. It's so funny to tell the story. We pull in and we open the door. And I, and I kid you not, Leanne can testify to this. From the second we opened the door, I knew I loved this church. I absolutely knew I loved this church. And honestly, by the time we walked up the, 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 st the steps into the front door, I could have told you within three seconds, this is the church we're supposed to be at. But what I haven't told you yet is we were two 
of only three white people that were at that church that Sunday. And that beyond one of the most significant works that's ever happened in my heart. When prejudice began to be removed and I fell in love with a family of a different color skin. And to this day, I owe that pastor and that church family so much for walking my wife and I through one of the darkest seasons of our life. I'll, I'll say this, I had enough respect for church, for God, for the pastor and his family. I had enough respect that when I got there, I didn't have the attitude of, there's some things in me that you need. I knew right away, there's some things in you that I need. And I'll just tell you, in case you've never been to one of those churches, they don't shift. Don't even try shifting in their church. I didn't, I, honestly, I didn't even have dress clothes. I didn't have slacks. And, and I mean, this church, boy, they would, everybody got dressed up. I mean, dressed up. The, the, the big hats and all, it was every Sunday was Easter Sunday. We get dressed up once a year. They get dressed up 52 times a year. And uh, make that 104 because Wednesday's just as important as Sunday. And uh, but I, I remember out of respect for the house, I, I told him, I was like, I, I don't even have a pair of slacks and I'm not going to be coming into his church with jeans on. And I, um, I went and bought some dress slacks and I bought a nice shirt. So I had two sets. <laughs> and I submitted my life to that house. And not only did prejudice and racism get washed away from my soul, a heart to really worship got in there. And I saw people that had something that I didn't have, that worshiped like I didn't worship. They actually acted like they didn't care what other people thought when they worshiped. I want to read a scripture from 2 Corinthians 5. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Corinth on behalf of him and, and Timothy. It starts right here in verse 6. It says, Therefore we were always confident or always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we're at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things that do us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. 
We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are, if we are in our right minds, it's for you. It's interesting the perspective that those who've never really worshiped God with their whole being, it's interesting how they think and view those who worship different than they worship, as if they are the ones that are out of their mind. I propose, I propose to you today that maybe more of us should get out of our mind, since if we're out of our mind, it's for him. If we're in our right mind, it's for us. But here's the kicker. Verse 14. For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died him who died for them and was raised again. You know, there's another scripture in Isaiah 29, 13 that says this, is these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. You know, there's a contrast between these two scriptures. Some are commanded to worship. Others are compelled. Paul speaks of something having happened in his heart that because the love of God has been shed abroad in his heart and he's fully been made aware of what the sacrifice really was that Jesus made on the cross, that because something's happened in me, something's got to change outside of me. And if I look crazy for doing it, just know it's not for you anyway. It's for him. And then he says, there's others whose hearts are far from me because the worship that they give is not a worship from their heart. It's not a worship from the inside out. It's a worship that's been instructed from the outside in. They're being commanded to worship. They've been taught to worship. They're just following the rules. But I love that phrase. He said, Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. I propose to you today that if you're in here and worship is, is still difficult for you, that you don't have a worship problem, you have a love problem. It's not anxiety. It's not fear of man that's keeping you from worshiping. It's an under-evaluation for the length, the depth, the breadth, the height of his love. I am uh, much like what happened with me, I, 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 want, I want to have a church where people come and experience Jesus and get so radically transformed by an experience, not a teaching, but an experience with God where something happens that's so tangible, that's so real, they know this is different. That something happens in them to send them on a journey to go after Him like they never have. Therefore, experiencing a love that they've never experienced and then come to the same conclusion I did at one point in my life, the only logical response to this kind of love is my worship. 
the only logical response for me to give back to him is one of worship, one who is worthy, one who is holy, one who deserves every ounce of my being, every second of my day. True worship. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast today. You can find out more about our ministry at RenewLifeChurch.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Also, our app is available for download so that you